practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes progress. So as long as you are practicing, whether it's this quote-unquote perfect program that you wanted to have, or if it's just you're getting out there every day or every other day or whatever your kind of um, setup looks like, and you're trying, then you are going to progress. And the truth is, sometimes that might be because you walk away from a workout, you walk away from a session, you walk away from an experience and you go, oh, I should never do that again. (laughs) Like if I you know, can't get a babysitter and I'm like running around the house all day, super stressed. And then I try to go out and grind out a tempo. Maybe your progress for the day is learning that that's not the best thing for you. And on those days, you should either just relish in an easy run or cross train or take the day off. And, you know, that's going to make you feel better for longer. Um, And I think kind of going into all forms of training and knowing that Everything you do is an opportunity to learn and whether it's learning because it was, you know, in your mind a success or learning because it didn't go how you wanted it to, it's, it's still progression. It's still something you can then take into the next time you experience the same thing. Welcome to, or welcome back to our Runners Alive podcast. So you just listened to a snippet of today's episode by today's guest, Mary Kane, and this episode marks the hundredth edition a runner's life podcast i'm seriously blown away that the fact that i've even made it to 100 because when i first started podcasting i've got to admit you know you're still learning your way you're still trying to figure out how to do this thing but for me this whole podcasting thing was to really just push myself out of my comfort zone and to really learn from other runners and to sort of share what a runner's life is and something that i found from speaking to so many guests from the wide spectrum of running is that running comes in different shapes different forms and is so diverse but at the core runners are simply trying to answer the question that is quite common across the spectrum whether you run track trail roads whatever i feel like it's a question that you're asking yourself a question of learning a question of development and also one of the biggest lessons i've learned from people more experienced myself is that sometimes as runners as people we can really overcomplicate things like i go into questions thinking so what do you do when you're here or what do you do when you're there and it's just like dude you know you've done the work why overcomplicate it so sometimes it's about having the faith and just kind of just letting things go as they intended and just doing your best in that very moment obviously that's not the only life lesson that's dropped and you can like go off you know skipping into the sunset because running and life is not like that so thank you to all the guests that have been on the show you've added so much value to this process thank you to all the listeners thank you to all my patrons because without your support it basically allows me to do what i'm doing and to go forward and I've actually got some really exciting projects that I've got coming up, which I hope to share with you in due course, but your support makes this all possible so I can really keep sharing what a runner's life is. So I'd like to thank Chris Ann, Mandy, Robbie, Charles, Rachel, Angela, and Sarah. Special shout out to you all. Thank you. And the show is for you. So thank you to everyone that reaches out to me, lets me know what the show means to them with direct messages know in person i really appreciate it it really does make actually the work to produce a show edit it put it all together much more worthwhile and like i said the show is for you so if you've got anything that you'd like to see any guests you'd like to hear any topics you'd like to see covered then just reach out to me 
and I want to shout out the supporters of the show Tracksmith they were the first brand to get behind the podcast and before I talk about the kit I mean the real ethos is to really support and encourage the amateur runner and the amateur runner comes in all shapes all sizes and you know running changes we are custodians of the sport and things change so I think it's about encouraging that process and that change and being supportive of the people that are coming into the sport but also recognizing the people that came before us I am currently training for the London Marathon and I'm going to share some of my essential pieces of the kit that I use during a typical training week. So when I'm doing my sessions or my tempo runs, I tend to go for the Reggie Halfline tights or the Van Cortland singlet. And during my easy runs, I tend to then go for the Van Cortland tee with the session shorts. These are part of the session collection. And sometimes I do actually switch up in my tempo runs between the session speed shorts and the Reggie Halfline tights, just depending on the weather. I'll be honest, I'm not really a fan of the short shorts. You know, I look back at some of my old photos, I'm like, what are you doing? So for me, <laughs> these particular shorts like have like the perfect balance between like a little bit of modesty and looking good and being really functional. So I generally do get some people asking me like what kit you're wearing. And yeah, so hopefully that's been quite helpful to give you like an idea of what I go between for my session work in preparation for the marathon and just my general easy day runs. So with that being said, I'm so excited that we're finally here. Episode 100 of a Runner's Life podcast. Let's head to the conversation. In episode 50, I spoke with Patty Dillon, the first American woman to break a sub-230 marathon. In episode 96, I spoke with Julia Chase Brand, the first US woman to officially finish a major road running race. And in episode 100 of a Runner's Life podcast, I'm really excited to speak with another pioneer within women's running. Today's guest is Mary Kane. She started a new model to shake up the status quo for women's running, and we will dive into this later in this conversation. But firstly, Mary, welcome to a Runner's Life podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Marcus. Really excited to talk with you today. And, you know, I kind of feel like a lot of some of the interviews you've done before, this isn't your fault, by the way, you know, you've kind of taken a deep dive into your experience of being like the youngest American to ever make a world championship track team. And you've talked about what happened at Nike. And I feel like it's been done before. And I I feel a little bit irresponsible, like making you jump into the world and like <laughs> just go into that for for my podcast because I, I don't want to be that sort of person, really. So I want to focus on what's happening now and more this current chapter of your life, if that's OK. Yeah, I'd love that. That sounds great. Awesome, because obviously no one's listening to this podcast. It's just you and I just talking. So <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no or no. <laughs> So firstly, you've done a few interviews, like I've said before, and you've been asked a lot of the same questions. But if you were interviewing yourself, what would you ask yourself? Oh, that's a great question. So I personally like getting a little bit maybe into my favorite things to read and listen to is I do love listening to running podcasts. But part of the reason I enjoy listening to them is I consider myself a student of the sport. Uh, not only as an athlete, but also as a businesswoman and somebody who works for a running apparel brand. And so sometimes the information that I find the most interesting is a little bit of a day in the life of an athlete, CEO, you know, somebody who works within the industry. 
Um, and that's why even from kind of like a reading perspective, Refinery29 um, is this outlet that has these sections called Money Diaries. And it's this way to kind of, I think, uh, peel back, you know, the industries a little bit in general and see like what's kind of the day to day life of a woman in um you know, life and work in general for Refinery29. And then in podcasts, my favorite sections are those where it's, you know, taking a little bit of maybe a voyeuristic look into the day-to-day life of somebody um, just so you can learn and and grow and maybe emulate or um, decide that certain aspects are maybe not for you. And just, I, I guess that's what I would find most interesting. So it's really sort of based on that kind of knowledge and understanding because I was listening to a podcast today and they were talking about can sort of teach someone to fish or we can mm-hmm. give them a fish and I think it's the other the first isn't it really just kind of get information and that's what's really valuable in developing yourself as a runner and as a person yeah exactly I mean to me I I find you know founding stories really exciting like I love listening to the podcast how I built this but I think sometimes it's the nitty-gritty of like what somebody does on the day-to-day that can be the most insightful and it's because you know a a, a, like big thing to say is that you are never ever going to be apples to apples able to copy (laughs) what somebody else has done that's not how life works and in no way am I interested in these sort of topics because I have aspirations to almost like truly you know, take what somebody else has done in like an exact literal fashion. Um, But I think it can really expose truths if you're able to see, okay, wow, this person is, you know, devoting this much time into this project to get it off the ground. Or this person really kind of um, has decided to prioritize, you know, their like career or um, their personal life or they found balance by learning how to say yes or learning how to say no. Um, And I think it's those insights when you're kind of looking at somebody's um, career, kind of even just their, what their week breakdown would be, um, is very helpful. And I think as an athlete, you know, a lot of people can sympathize with this or kind of relate because, you know, so often we'd love to know what other people are doing training wise. And it's not because it's ever healthy or wise to try to take somebody else's Strava and and make it their own. Um, But, you know, you can sometimes learn from others and realize that, oh, wow, they take their easy days easy too. And maybe I'm running them a little too fast right now. Or don't be afraid to cross train to get fitter. Um, You know, mileage isn't everything. And so I think sometimes this is more about learning to give yourself grace than um, creating this like unhealthy way to, to copy or mimic so that sort of ties into what I was sort of thinking about what sort of key lessons or learnings that you're taking and I wasn't quite sure whether you're sort of implying it there towards the end of just about being kind to yourself absolutely I think for me you know and a lot of this comes with maturity and I'm by no means um mature at the age of 25 I think you know we're we're never really mature we're always growing and um you know i think i think it's you become an adult once you realize you know your parents and all the adults around you are suddenly like not that much older than you <laughs> and, and so i don't want to oversell how i maybe view myself um but i do think 
in so many ways as I've gotten older, I've been able to, you know, and take things like social media or, um, you know, reading articles in the sport or listening to podcasts as this really healthy opportunity to learn versus taking it as something where I almost use it to beat myself down because I'm not doing exactly the same thing. And because my path is different, um, instead I look at that as exciting and want to learn from other people who do things differently versus almost um, feel alone and left out, if you will, which I think is so often how when you're younger, you can take, you know, things like social media. Yeah. And I think in your position, I mean, you've obviously had a lot of eyes on you and still do. And I guess it's about, you know, protecting your space, but also making sure that that space doesn't fully close off. It's, it must be a quite a tricky balance as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for people who know me, like quite personally, um, I'm somebody who had I never gone into running, um, if I ever had social media, it probably would have just been pictures of my dog. <laughs> so um, it's not from a lack of, you know, interest or respecting the space or um, appreciating, you know, what what opportunities such as, you know, the media can do for you. But I think it's just, you know, I I kind of joke that I'm curmudgeonly for a 25 year old because I at least for my kind of generation, I'm, I'm the last year you can be a millennial because I'm born in 96. Um, you know, I, I don't consider myself as social media savvy or in general as kind of these <laughs> younger people. Um, and so I think I've always kind of been somebody who grew up um, very kind of separated from like a phone or a computer and you know, I mean, there'll be people listening to this who are like, Mary, you got a phone super young. Um, but I didn't get an iPhone until my senior year of high school. And so things like Strava didn't exist or Twitter and Instagram, like I didn't get until I was in college. Um, and I think as a result, I maybe had to have that like learning curve of these yeah. things a little bit later. And yet always kind of was exposed to them through the lens of professional athletics versus something that I initially had for fun or with friends and then pivoted to kind of yeah. this like professional setup. Yeah. Um, and I think because of that, I'm, you know, both lucky because I've always, it's always kind of been that how I viewed it. And therefore there's always been this healthy distance from it. Um, and yet I'm unlucky because I post pictures that probably make people be like, um, honey, you can use a filter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Those running photos, you're just like, oh. <laughs> we've all got them. <laughs> well, I, I guess, you know, I joke with people that my, my boyfriend, Jake, um, doesn't, doesn't have an Instagram. And um, as a result, I, I don't really have like that built in, um, I guess, photographer in the house. And so like, we're both quick to take pictures of our dog. But as soon as I'm out in a run, like I've yet to find like a squad that's going to, um, <laughs> I guess, photograph my day to day. But, but in truth, I think that I think there's something really 
cool about that. And going forward, I want to use like my own voice and my own kind of um, platforms to maybe like shake up what currently is the norm for pro runners to post. Um, Where I think so often it is this like highly curated page that people create. Um, And I think personally, I would much rather it be a little bit more personal and a little bit scrappier. And yes, is part of that because, you know, there's only so high end of a photo I can take myself. Yes. Um, But there's just also for me, this kind of, I think, really conscious effort to think of the people who are following me and always remind myself that, you know, if I have three photos to choose from and one I instinctively think I look the best in, yeah, I almost don't want to always post that one because I think there's this pressure within a lot of these outlets to always look kind of quote unquote perfect and and you know as I joked before to have the good filter or to you know suck in your stomach for the photo or have your hair done um and the truth is like anybody who knows me knows like 95 (laughs) percent of the time I'm not wearing makeup like I'm often in running clothes you know my hair is something that um I've been fighting since I was born to, to not be frizzy and that's okay. I'm I'm proud of those things and all those things are what make me me. And so if that's what I'm showing people, then I just feel there's going to be a younger girl out there with her crazy frizzy hair who's going to be like, okay, like Mary says she doesn't need hairspray. The world might tell her she needs hairspray, but she's rocking my same type of hair. Um, and I don't know. I, I think there's something very positive about that than for me myself um because I kind of always like remember that if 15 16 year old Mary had a phone and was looking at these photos that she would see somebody who really looked like her versus this maybe idealized version of herself that's a really interesting idea because I guess depending where people are where they're on their lives you got taken for where they are I guess we, I can only speak for myself, I'm trying to tell, I guess, what my version of a runner's life is. And it sometimes does get convoluted between what you think it should be or kind of being what you think it should be. And like you said, sometimes you just select those photos. Like, for example, I did a post a while back and I was going to do a selfie and like sweats roll into my eye. <laughs> I know you're about to say something really deep and meaningful and then your face is just like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm so tough and then you just break by that one bead of sweat. So I posted that one and I got, you know, people kind of kind of reacted to it in a funny way. And I was just like, yeah, because that's just what happens. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing that because, I, you know, I always tell people that I think, you know, I don't know, have I ever literally gotten through an interview where I, you know, put that little like asterisk and say, like, talking the talk is always much easier than walking the walk and so even when I'm saying something like this like yeah sometimes I do pick the picture where I look a little (laughs) bit better um but I believe that the more we 
are constantly fighting our ingrained like biases and um, kind of perceptions of what is good or bad or beautiful or ugly um, and kind of questioning what we as a society have kind of normalized and consider how much is that actually good for me and how much is that actually healthy for me versus just something I'm doing because society has taught me that is how I'm going to be valued as an individual. Yeah. Um, you know, that that can like transcend the social media conversation we're having into really any facet of life. And personally, I'm on this, I feel, journey where that's so much of what I'm doing. It's whenever anything happens, whether it's to me as an individual or to like our sport or to the global women's running community or global sports or anything beyond that, I often try to take a step back and wonder, am I reacting to this because I actually feel this way or am I reacting to it because I'm, I've been taught rules are rules or, you know, this is condoned behavior because it's okay or is it condoned because we've just as a society decided to do that even though it's wrong um and i feel the more we're kind of always bringing that question into our lives i think long term the happier we're going to be because the more we're going to know like we're actually being true to ourselves and not just kind of following company line if you will yeah i like the idea of questioning the rationale behind why we do things not obviously everyday question like someone says to you like how are you like what why, why, why are you asking me that, <laughs> that yeah, exactly. but like i know you mean like like the, the sort of things that we take on as like oh is that my thoughts is that my parents thoughts is that someone else's thoughts or that i'm taking on as my own do i really believe that and i think it's really cool to sort of you know investigate that and sort of challenge that especially in like what a runner's life means to us i mean like just staying on that sort of theme i mean how's your thoughts of what a runner's life was I guess, change to what it is now. And to be honest, I'm probably mindful that question could be a podcast in itself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, Marcus, it is. This is a runner's life. It is It is the existential question we're trying to answer. Um, and I think what's changed for me is I think I r really romanticized um, a runner's life is meant to be one of like, grit and glory and like insert beautiful photo where you're working really hard and yet still somehow look beautiful right and it's like pushing yourself to the point of like pain and um you know almost putting everything in your life second to this one you know glorified goal that then would give you happiness and um, you know, the people who you like looked up to the most and cared the most would would like like you back, right? And I think that's a very normal reaction for a lot of young people in sport. I think that's not something that's unique to me. I think it's just what we are literally taught as children is what sports is. Um, it's why we do things like glorify a single event in Olympic sports, aka the Olympics, and kind of act like everything is do or die, you know, win at all costs for that one 
moment in your life. And I think the older I've gotten, the more I've realized a runner's life isn't often actually about running. (laughs) It's kind of everything else that running gives us. Um, It's the opportunity for me to meet often like-minded people, Um, people who are, you know, passionate about doing the best that they can do, working hard, um, often, you know, like creating this lifestyle of dedication and yet fun, um, sharing, teamwork, like all of these I think just incredibly beautiful traits that I wish everybody was able to be exposed to in whatever path they decide to go down, whether it's sports related or not. Um, But I feel what happens is that at a young age, we're taught what I first said, and then it's through trials and, you know, kind of painful circumstances and negative experiences that the few of us who almost make it through ultimately learn what the real value of sports is. Um, And what ends up happening is we just lay waste to countless people who rather than, you know, kind of getting over that hill, if you will, and kind of ultimately seeing the beautiful meadow of what sports is, end up saying, very rightfully and (laughs) debatably smartly, what the hell am I doing? This is horrible. I'm going to get the hell out of here. Um, And as a result, we just lose so many incredible people along the way who could be a part of our community and could be really powerful and important voices and and friends and uh, teammates. And to me, that's what we have to change as a sport Um, that is what I'm most dedicated to changing is early on in somebody's career, telling them, no, you can be competitive. You can care about, you know, your, your sport. You can want to do the best that you can, but it's not that first idea of what a runner's life is. A runner's life is really so much more than this one at all cost culture. And you like said earlier on that sometimes the idea of being a runner can be romanticized. Like for example, I was speaking to a runner this weekend and we were doing a long run and it's just like the idea of like you get into the well and you know, you're suffering or, you know, you're into that sort of dark place and you love it every moment. It's like, sometimes you're not loving it, but you just get through it. And we were both saying to each other, I was just like, sometimes people feel like it's just them and it's a fault on their side that they're Absolutely. feeling that way. And everyone else is just like, I'm crushing it today. And I loved it. I got out of bed at four and I smashed these miles out. And I got home and I did some Pilates with what I weighted vest on. You're like, okay, good for you. But <laughs> I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I think that's why if you were, you know, like, honestly, anybody who's listening to this, if you're running for those moments that Mark just described, <laughs> I, I'm not going to get all bachelor on you, but I don't know if you're running for the right reasons because if anything often, and this is something that I kind of learned in my own journey is often you're almost running away from something. If that's the part of sport that you value, if the only, if like the pinnacle of what sport is to you is like the pain and the grind, like you maybe need to step back and kind of wonder like why 
why do I value that more than the ability to like learn more about my body or the ability to make friends through teammates or competitors or the opportunity to learn how to balance nerves you know it's like I think you can really really crazy value high performance but have the right mindset of why you do versus it almost only be about the the outcome of performance um and so that's what as I've gotten older I'm really trying to kind of retrain my own brain to often you know go into a workout and not think I'm trying to hit a 65 second 400 for this lap and instead think I'm I'm really trying to work on my form for this 400 and make sure that I don't fall asleep you know in the second curve and instead I'm really staying on top of it so that the last 400, um, you know, I can really stay focused on my form. Hopefully both are 65, but I think that's what I should be focused on and valuing, like how I almost uh, think about the run. That's a really interesting thought because it's something I've been thinking about recently. It's just like, how do you get the rhythm right between, we're not sort of downplaying performance and you know training to be a best in a certain event or whatnot but also balancing that between just being your best and enjoying it I mean how do you find you get that kind of rhythm right and I'm sure there isn't just like one particular thing that works on that day and it I'm sure it's fluid it changes day by day yeah and I appreciate again you asking me that question because one thing I've really noticed over the last year and a half since I shared my New York Times story is I think there's always people who misinterpret what I'm saying into thinking that I I feel the only value in sport is like kumbaya holding hands and skipping through a meadow um, because that's very much not what I'm trying to say. I think, you know, I personally feel that you can go on a start line and be like, I'm in it to win it. I'm here. I have big goals. I'm, I'm, you know, daring myself to dream big and I'm nervous and I'm excited and I'm passionate, right? Like you can be that like kick-ass competitor and also practice healthy sport. Like those two things are not like, it's not one or the other. It's not skipping through the meadow as your run or like constantly grinding. You can, you can find balance and to be the best athlete you can be, you have to find balance. Um, and to me, how it's done is just often changing the outlook of my goals from outcome oriented to process oriented. Um, And in the end, I'm, you know, really kind of trying to achieve, achieve the same thing, which is be the best that I can be. But rather than think, okay, I'm in it to like, you know, win this race and everything I'm doing is to win. Um, it's instead, you know, I'm going to go into a race goal with the goal of like following certain steps. And if I do these things, I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to improve on last time. And then I'm going to walk away, whether I won or not, having things to almost grow from and being able to like have a really great way to kind of after the fact, you know, like take lessons and, and, and grow. And I think if you don't do that, then what happens is you either win the race and then what are you kind of taking from it? 
because you achieve the goal and there's almost hypothetically no room for improvement than just the vague get faster and do it bigger <laughs> next time, which, you know, isn't really an actionable goal um, or you don't achieve it. And then there's almost this like really like harsh line of like success and failure versus this nuanced, you know, attitude of, okay, I really wanted to stick my neck in it the last 200 meters, but I know I let too many doubts get in my head and, and I, I kind of waited until the last 50 and yes, I won, but next time, let me try to get that kick out a little farther, right? That's, that's how you grow as a competitor, but that's also how you just have a healthier mindset. I really love the way you explained about just being in the process and you know sometimes people can listen to it and think oh it sounds like not you personally but like like an instagram quote of like you know stay in the process you know <laughs> it sounds so romantic like you, it's this place that you love being in but sometimes it's a place of like frustration confusion you're just like oh, am i gonna ever get gonna get to this goal or you get the goal like what's next it's like it's oh, not 100%. this beautiful place so like where you're singing kumbaya and running quickly <laughs> <laughs> yeah Oh, exactly. And I, you know, I know from experience that, you know, part of the thing about having a process oriented mindset is knowing that, you know, part of that whole idea is to always be trying to be a little better at following the process versus only focusing on outcomes. Because the truth is, you know, you're the whole idea of having a process um, base system of analysis and, and, and goal setting is because outcome oriented mindsets are all about perfection at the end of the day. It's like you are trying to be perfect. You are trying to just show up and win and that is the outcome. And if you do it, you're perfect. Um, but that's impossible. Like we in and of ourselves like can never be perfect. There's always going to be flaws. And as soon as you kind of just accept that and acknowledge that there will always be growth, there will always be a new process to learn and a new ability to kind of take on um, another, you know, like opportunity to grow. It's just, it's going to make you like a better athlete, but it's also going to make you a happier athlete and probably a healthier athlete. Um, but in accepting that, <laughs> it can be very frustrating because you're like, oh my God, like I will never just blank win, right? Like yeah. there's never going to be this perfect, like I have achieved everything and now like everything will make me happy in life. Like you have to almost accept that there's always going to be struggle. There's always going to be growth. And that can be really uncomfortable. That can be really almost upsetting, I think, for people when you realize you like there is no ideal and whether it's Instagram page you see or the race you watch or whatever, you know, you're kind of looking at as, wow, this is, this is what I want to be, you know, behind all of that is struggle and disappointment and frustration and the feeling like, oh God, 200 meters to go. I should have stuck my neck out there more. Um, and it's, it's healthy to almost know that it's okay to be a little frustrated about that. It's okay to kind of be like, dang it. I wish things were easier. I wish it could just be this like clear cut, you know, always win or lose. But 
that's just not how life is. I love listening to that because like we talk about the idea of perfection and I was complaining to my wife today, like sometimes on my Instagram and I hear and I see these posts and the people are like, you know, you should do this recovery type thing or, you know, have a perfect program. And I'm like, like I work full time, got kids. I'm like, this is this not my life. Like I know that my training program is imperfectly perfect. And I just accept mm-hmm. it. But there's other people that might look at it and think, oh my gosh, I'm not living up to that, those standards. Uh, I'm not saying these people are doing it in a negative way, like they're trying to hurt other people, but they sometimes they don't really realize that people look at other people, compare and think, oh my gosh, they're doing that. I'm not doing this. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's why it was actually my PT, Vakash, who had first um, said this to me and it just kind of blew my mind. But he was like, practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes progress. So as long as you are practicing, whether it's this quote unquote, perfect program that you wanted to have or if it's just you're getting out there every day or every other day or whatever your kind of um, setup looks like and you're trying then you are going to progress and the truth is sometimes that might be because you walk away from a workout you walk away from a session you walk away from an experience and you go oh I should never do that again (laughs) like if I you know, can't get a babysitter and I'm like running around the house all day, super stressed. And then I try to go out and grind out a tempo. Maybe your progress for the day is learning that that's not the best thing for you. And on those days, you should either just relish in an easy run or cross train or take the day off. And, you know, that's going to make you feel better for longer. Um, And I think kind of going into all forms of training and knowing that Everything you do is an opportunity to learn and whether it's learning because it was, you know, in your mind a success or learning because it didn't go how you wanted it to, it's, it's still progression. It's still something you can then take into the next time you experience the same thing. You know, I mean, I sometimes joke that it took me like three times eating an apple right before a run to finally realize that I should never do that. And yeah, were those three runs kind of like, painful (laughs) because I had a stomach ache yes but did I progress (laughs) because now I will never do that again absolutely um and I think that's why it's just good to kind of go into things with this mindset of I'm I'm trying to learn and we're human we are weak (laughs) and we are always going to still look at that social media post and be like maybe maybe if I did eat 10 raisins, my vitamin D would be a billion percent higher. And maybe I need to do that, right? Or you're going to have that day. Yeah. Yeah. But even that is a learning moment because even that's a chance for you then to kind of shake yourself out of it and say, oh, okay, everything I read online is not necessarily right. It's not necessarily real. Um, You know, that's an opportunity. And like, again, complete transparency as I said I I totally fall into these traps I totally have these moments but I think what makes me Mary of 2021 versus Mary of 2014 is my ability then to absorb it and say wait a minute wait a minute I'm going down this spiral I'm starting to have these thoughts how can I back myself out of them how can I avoid this next time and I hope Mary of the future is even better at that and is even farther along in their journey. But for right now, if I can even just share this advice that I've learned over the years, 
I just hope it's able to help somebody else remember that, yep, you're you're gonna fall <laughs> you're gonna fall into that rabbit hole. You're gonna have those days, but as long as you are always trying, you are going to progress. Yeah, I agree. I think it's so normal to have those thoughts and like you said, you get that awareness and then it's kind of short circuits it. But awareness by itself, as you noted, isn't the be on end or it's just like then taking that action to then kind of move forward in a I guess in a healthy way, whatever that is for you, rather than if you kind of stay where you are and it's sort of keeping you back and not not allowing you to kind of to grow and uh, we could go down a rabbit hole this one and I feel like <laughs> I, I was thinking about things you were saying like I could go down a rabbit hole but it's other things I want to kind of chat about as well one of the things I, I get a little bit frustrated with is when I listen to some of like the recent podcasts or some things like that with you on it they kind of people speak to you and they're like uh almost like they speak to you like you're a runner in the past I'm like but she's still like <laughs> early 20s I'm like she still runs I'm like Let's Thank talk you. about that. <laughs> like, so like, what are you excited about in your running? And can you tell me a little bit about that? No, I really, I really appreciate it. And I think, you know, I think people sometimes can do that because again, the way I, I often, I think, share my story is one in which I'm really, I'm really trying to motivate other people. Like I really want other people to be protected against the experiences I experienced. And, and I really want to help people. Um, and that might sound silly, but I think as a result, sometimes people kind of take this idea that, you know, if you're going to do that, you therefore have to like forego your own dreams and your own life. And part of the reason I think this is a super important thing to say is because this is often the conversation we have around motherhood or fatherhood. Or, you know, deciding to like, you know, move because your partner got a job somewhere else. And I think so often there's kind of this, like, people almost want to create like hierarchies of importance. Um, And I think it's just easier for us as a species to just like chunk things into boxes and say like, this is what this person does. Um, But it's okay to have multiple passions and multiple things you're trying to accomplish. And the ability to learn how to, you know, maybe on the day to day prioritize one over the other, but as a whole have this healthy balance of, of, you know, you know, constantly readjusting to make you the happiest person you can be. Um, And so for me in that personal balance, of course, running has always been a part of it and still is a part of it. And something that I have been doing, um, you know, on an intense level for, quite a while now. And for me personally, I had surgery almost a year ago. It was on July 31st of 2020. I had bilateral hip arthroscopy. And as soon as I had to go on that journey of like the rehab from surgery, I always had the attitude that my 2021 was going to be all about growth. And I knew it would be probably unhealthy for me to really, really focus on like trying to make the Olympic team or something that's, yes, a beautiful goal to have, but with all things considered, like I wanted to take this year slowly and and really make sure my body was ready to handle high intensity training. Um, And it's been really great because it's given me the freedom when like little things have popped up to kind of go on a path of searching how to make things better. Um, So like one example is that 
I have this issue where sometimes I kind of lose a little bit of feeling and a little bit of control in my leg. Um, and it was something that I kind of had to take a step back from my running for a little bit just to make sure nothing serious was going on. Realized I had like a little bit of um, like spinal bending that I'm working on from like postural training. And it's the sort of thing where I was a little frustrated because I'd gotten into really good race shape, felt like I was ready to run probably like a 430, 432 miles, something like that. So not, not my best, but like we're at the start of things and, you know, have taken like a little step back to like focus on, um, you know, longevity and, and making sure I'm, my body's always kind of moving well and, and really ready to roll. Um, and I think it's been great because this little breath from training of, of focusing on something new after having a nice buildup has given me the opportunity to refocus some of my attention back to this launch. And now that we're going to be onboarding athletes, I can once again kind of pivot more towards a training focus. And I think having this ability to kind of have multiple things that are of value to me and multiple things that I'm really, you know, um, like working on at a high level has given me this really beautiful freedom to sometimes have to take a step back and explore something new and, and make sure I'm not just kind of constantly like hitting my head against a wall, trying to do one thing. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of a tangent, but I guess long story short, running's gone well. I've learned a lot in the past year and it's been really exciting. Um, and it was really, really fun being able to do some kind of high intensity training. And now I'm kind of getting back into that flow after kind of like a lower month and, excited for the fall and winter you know what tangents are good especially for podcasts if i said to you are you excited about your run you went yeah <laughs> take or leave it <laughs> i'm like right okay what are we gonna go with next <laughs> yeah and i think what it is is like and i'm sure so many people can relate to this right but there have been so many seasons just from you know people i know where you, you get to a point you're like i'm really in a groove and maybe you never got to fully show it right and that can be really deflating that can be really like no I like you know there was three people at my time trial like they saw what I did they know what I could do right yeah um but for me I think I kind of didn't have that attitude once I kind of had to pivot and just make sure my health was good make sure I was you know focusing on things that I could really help to give myself more of a longevity in sport and it's been exciting to learn new things that I can be working on to just continue to progress athletically. Um, but I think the reason I could have that, like, maybe more Zen attitude was because I've created this life for myself where I'm, I am valued professionally as a runner, but also as more than that. Um, and I think that's why I'm trying to create or I have created an organization that will give others that same ability to like you know really grow and experiment and you know try to become the best them that they can be and that isn't only a runner I want to get onto that but before we do I kind of want to circle back to something I was thinking about this week and something actually ties into things that you've spoken about in previous podcasts and it's to do with just to kind of 
looking after our mental health and mm-hmm. you know we spoke about this podcast it, we we're talking about how we kind of manage that chatter and whether we how we sort of manage that process which we've discussed and I was sort of thinking even in a separate sport like tennis like what's happening with Naomi Osaka and like how things played out after the French Open and how people have these really unrealistic expectations of what athletes should be what mm-hmm. they shouldn't be like it's some sort of personal failing I'm like hold a second how many majors has she won compared to <laughs> the people that are criticizing her one it's just ridiculous exactly I mean, can you sort of talk about like how you're looking to kind of deal with that kind of process with what you're starting? Obviously, you can't solve the world's mental health problems or challenges uh, by yourself. But how are you looking to kind of make that an important part of the conversation? Yeah. So I think one really important piece to especially the example you used with Naomi Osaka is reframing how people view mental health in terms of like how we address it, right? And I think, you know, it was such a clear reaction by the, you know, kind of we'll call it general public when Naomi was deciding to, you know, not do media and then ultimately withdrawing from two major competitions in the tennis season. Um, You know, everybody's kind of initial response was, oh, that's part of her job. She should have gone and talked to the company. Like, you know, insert, like, questions of whether or not she even was dealing with mental health. And, well, why doesn't she want to do this media if she's doing this? Like, all these things where you're like, okay, everything these people are saying is targeted at her mental health being a her problem. Um, And I think what I have of learned through my own mental health journey is that yes you know sometimes mental health is something that can be treated by the individual right like sometimes it is something where you know medically you might need extra help whether it's through the form of medication i think everybody should do therapy but sometimes it's even more important especially if you're getting over a trauma or you have um, a history of abuse in your past and you know, there are steps as an individual that we can take to help ourselves, but that does not mean mental health is an us problem. This isn't a, it's the individual against the world. And we, as you know, a community of people who have struggled with their mental health have to feel like it's all on them. And the reason is because one, I believe humanity is better than that. I believe we can take care of each other and help each other. Um, But the other reason is that, you know, sometimes mental health, you know, experiences are also circumstantial, right? It it doesn't always have to be um, something that's like exclusively internally driven um, condition. You know, often issues with mental health, especially for people of the younger generation, is really coming from this external feeling either pressure or um, intimidation or something that other people are doing to the person who's experiencing the mental health. And so I feel that, you know, having a platform as I do, it's important to talk about how I look at the situation Naomi went through. And question, why are we 
asking and blaming Naomi to like situation versus sitting back and saying, okay, how can the organizations that are there to seemingly protect her because they're making money off of her step in and make sure she feels comfortable, safe, supported, and and in a position where she can be open and she can share and she wants to be a part of this. Um, and I think it it's it's something that's unfortunate that not more people, I think, step in in these situations and wonder, okay, what is it that we as a society, we as an organization, we as a fan base, whatever the we is, can do to help that individual? And so personally, I feel my, um, you know, next steps and kind of continuing to like help change the stigmas around mental health and and the diseases that many people suffer from is one just sharing my own story be an advocate um you know lend my voice in these sorts of circumstances to maybe um give somebody the opportunity to reframe their own thoughts and be curious about a different perspective but two it's also to create an organization where we're maybe setting a new standard and setting a new precedent and making others in the industry almost be forced to change how they behave because there is a response from the people um, who work within those other organizations to demand change because they see it elsewhere. So to talk more specifically, with my new team, Atalanta, New York, there's certain um, steps that we're going to be taking, especially when it does come to certain things like media and social media and, um, you know, a lot of the, I think, sometimes struggles that individuals can have around sharing and feeling kind of safe and comfortable in those circumstances to make sure that we're really protecting our athletes and making sure they have a really positive experience and are able to create, um, you know, fun and engaging um, experiences for themselves and for others. And some of that's going to come in the form of media training and helping people feel like they always have a support network. So if they're, you know, maybe having a more uncomfortable call, always knowing they have like a friend on the line to be there to, you know, like be in the room with them and really know that they're, they're loved and brave to be sharing their own story. Um, and I feel, you know, over the next few months, we'll be sharing more about like some of the steps and some of the things we're actively trying to do to kind of shake things up. Um, but I think sometimes having somebody out there to show you know, not only is this something I say we should do, but this is also something I'm actively doing within my own organization can hopefully help continue to press for change. Absolutely. And there's so many things that are kind of broken within the current model. We've spoken about how mental health is viewed um, from organizations even from the public to the the athletes and that's a different that could be the public house in itself but I kind of want to focus just on what you said there you know I think what you're doing with your new sort of initiative non-profit Atalanta is amazing and can you kind of explain some of the other challenges that you saw within the running model that you felt you wanted to kind of shake that tree and say like actually why are we looking at it this way why shouldn't we look at it this way 
Yeah, absolutely. I think one major piece of how I have structured our team, and it's something that I have taken from my own experience working for Tracksmith and for New York Roadrunners, is giving athletes the opportunity to join the team, not just as athletes, but also as literal employees who are helping advance the organization by contributing to it in roles that are actually developing their own career skills. Um, You know, one thing I've kind of seen over the course of my career, which although I'm only 25, I've, I've been in the professional sports world now for eight years as a professional myself, but really 10, if you count, you know, kind of going back to when I was competing at a, at a pretty high level um, is that next steps for athletes are almost non-existent because, you know, when it comes to all of a sudden submitting your resume to get your next job or take your next step, you know, very often there's not like a clear sense of what you actually did as a pro. And and there's so many organizations that kind of say like, yeah, we, we love hiring Olympians or, you know, we love hiring athletes. And, you know, then they see an athlete's resume and they're like, oh, so you ran for 15 years? Like, do you know how to use Excel? Like <laughs> there's, yeah. there's suddenly all sorts of questions. Um, and I think it's really, I think it's really a negative thing, not just for an athlete once their career is over and trying to find their next step, but also during, because that creates a lot of stress for an athlete to know like, ooh, like how long should I stay in this? Like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do next. And is it going to be harder if I stay in it longer? Should I, should I retire? Like just creates all sorts of, I think, negative, um, like internal communications within like a, an athlete's head of like what what their value really is and i think it also creates this just kind of sad i think conditioning that athletes often go through of like i'm not smart enough i'm not good enough i'm not you know like i shouldn't be the one who's maybe handling my own social media or i shouldn't be the one who's writing this email because you know maybe they're not going to value my voice. Um, And so for our organization, we really value the athlete's voice. We really think it's the most important thing in sports. You know, athletes are why we have sports to begin with. Um, And I want to help athletes not only during their athletic careers, but after their athletic careers know that their voice is valued, know that they can build their skills Um, and really help grow something, not just because of their results on the track, but also because of who they are as an individual. Yeah. And I think, like you said earlier, is like, you've got so much experience within the sport from your time at Nike through to obviously working in New York Roadrunners currently and still a tracksmith. And there's so many skills that you've learned and bringing to the table. And I guess sometimes you don't know what you don't know, but I guess when you look back and you kind of join some of the dots up to now, what skills have you taken from those experiences that you're putting into your new role? Yeah. So I think I've learned a mix of what to do and what not to do, if you will. <laughs> um, I think on the what not to do side, I have learned a lot about um, how to show individuals that they matter Um how to be a more caring employer, um, 
how to make sure that people are protected from abuse. Um, I think my experiences on that kind of negative side have really helped me shape some of the organizational structures that are really meant to, I just feel, give athletes a voice and, and remind them that their voice matters. And even if it's something that's different than mine or has a, has a different background or, you know, is said a different way, it, it still matters. Um, and so there's that side of the coin. And then I think from my positive experiences in sport, I've been able to learn and grow and ask questions. And I think one of the biggest things that I've learned kind of in these roles with New York Roadrunners and Tracksmith has almost been that it's okay to not know everything. Um, I'm very conscientious of the fact that there's a lot of um, things that I'm not an expert in and I should not try to pretend I'm an expert. I should not try to be an expert. Um, And during my time with the Nike Organ Project, there were a lot of individuals who were charlatans and who would pretend they had a level of expertise and, and sell themselves as such. And then in reality, really didn't have any business um, promoting themselves in such ways. And it's been really great being within organizations where everybody really tries to like share their level of expertise and say, Hey, this isn't, this isn't my role. I'm not experienced in this. Let me connect you to this person. Um, And I think seeing that done in such a healthy and positive way has made me as an individual, as a CEO, and now um, running this team, I know when I need to lean on others. And I know it's okay to lean on others. And I know it's good to lean on others. Um, And so to me, that might be one of the biggest things that I've learned is just is that ability to like tell people you're not perfect and tell people it's okay that I have a board who I'm going to ask a billion questions to. I'm going to have coworkers who are just as valued in the organization and whose voices in many instances are going to be more important than mine because they're going to know things that I don't. And my experience is not the only one that matters. I think that's such an important point to talk about the importance of teamwork and you know, sharing bits where you don't know and you kind of leading other people because you can't do it all yourself. But I'm just kind of thinking as well, how do you kind of create that culture that you want within your organization? And how do you, how are you going to try to uh, communicate that message to other team members so they can kind of transfer it across to other people? Because obviously you can't police everyone and tell them you need to say this or you need to do that. How are you thinking about how that's going to work? You know, it's really funny because I feel there is this theme of every time I answer that question, there's two pieces and one is verbal. One is saying it and the other is actually acting on it. So one thing that I have realized that for myself as an individual, um, how, how I almost will actually like feel positive about my value, um, is when somebody really says like this was this was great work thank you for doing this and there's like a really kind of positive like initial 
verbal reaction. Um, but then that there's a follow-up of action of saying, hey, because you did such a good job of this, I would love your opinion on this other project we're working on or this other topic that we're talking about. Or, you know, I'd love you to take the lead on this other thing because this is clearly something that you're really strong with and passionate about. Um, and I think, you know, across industries, this is not just a sports problem, but I think often, like, you're just kind of expected to do something and there's not, there's not this, I don't know, like job well done <laughs> afterwards. And, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of people who listen to this, AKA old men, no, <laughs> you know, who are like, well, it's your job. It's what you're paid to do, you know, just do it. Um, and I guess in my day, I didn't get a pat on my back, that type of thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, in in this day and age like we we ask for more and that that's okay um and i think it's it's okay to want to feel you know that you're doing a good job and i think people should feel that way and i also think on on the opposite end of that that it should be also okay to say you know hey like i'm gonna give you constructive feedback on something that happened like somebody didn't do a good job there is an issue there does have to be a conversation it's really positive to also set a framework of how to do that constructively and how to do that in such a way where you're not just tearing somebody down but you're actually building them up and giving them an opportunity to learn and next time feel more confident in that space and so i think you know there's kind of this like often bland, like non-existent response people get to work. Um, and then afterwards they're either like, oh, I guess people really did like that. Or afterwards you're like, I don't know, now I'm unsure of my position because did they like it? There's no real feedback. And to me, it's just important to be, to be really like communicative and to always have it be done whether it's to say, hey, this was great, or hey, we can learn and do better next time, for that conversation to be done in such a way where everybody is learning, everybody is going to get as positive an experience out of it as possible. I feel with what you're creating, if people look online, there's a lot of kind of more background into it. And you know what I mean? And I feel like putting that to one side, the running side, and what you're trying to do to progress female running listening to your answer what sort of strikes me is that before jumping into like we're going to turn you into this machine we're going to do this give you money and blah 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 you're like let's see we're going to treat people as people first we're going to respect people i'm going to start from that base before we kind of move forward into this not saying you're not you're not taking it seriously but i think that's such a cool thing to hear oh i 100 percent believe if you are starting an organization if your ethos isn't this is about the people then you probably shouldn't be going into business right like i we are a nonprofit, so you know we're like really not if it, it's for the business of me somehow getting some like big money kickback like this has always been something where i i am doing this for others um and I think that has to start internally, because if I'm 
a service organization and we're trying to do something that is helping people in our community, if we can't be for and about and really support the people who are with us internally, then, I mean, how can we in any sort of authentic way go into our local community and, and, and tell them we care about them? You know, like that to me is just an, an impossible feat. I'm not going to be creating ads, you know, selling one thing externally and then internally be mistreating people. Like, I think that's, I think that's a horrible, horrible thing to do either as an individual or as a business. Um, and so, of course, like my, my core to this is to help people. It's to give people opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have. It's to help them grow, help them learn. Um, and that's even why in the recruiting process, I've always, like from the beginning, whether somebody says, yes, I'm excited, let's go, or somebody says, hey, I think I'm going to join another team, from point A to point B, I'm I'm always there to answer questions. Even if it has nothing to do with our team, if I can just share more about the industry with somebody and and not in like some negative way but just like kind of the ins and outs of like you know how contracts work and you know how you find like you know a, a team that's the best fit and and you know little things like that um you know i i want people to join our organization because they want to um i want people to be a part of this because they see that ethos that I'm trying to create and want to be a part of it. Um, not because of really anything else. And from your experience, you've definitely seen what the negative impacts of having a toxic culture can be and having the wrong people in your organization. Obviously you can't play God and look into people's minds, but I mean, how are you kind of looking to kind of try to prevent that from happening I almost feel like that's an impossible question to answer actually yeah I mean I think I think again always comes back to talking the talk and then walking the walk right it's like the first step is telling people like hey these are some things to watch out for right yeah these are some things that are bad um and like I know you know we had one experience where we kind of got feedback from some people that um there was um like I guess an agent on the circuit who I've never interacted with um, who was kind of like almost saying some stuff about Atalanta. This was before we even launched and kind of, you know, acting like we like we're just kind of selling people like a fake story and, and just all sorts of like odd, you know, negative um, and untrue things. And like, I think in a situation like that, it's it's really good to learn from and realize, like, there are other people out there who, you know, kind of don't do things the right way and, and are going to try to build themselves up by tearing other people down, um, you know. And, of course, sometimes it's hard because <laughs> people know at least my New York Times piece story and maybe have an idea of at least one situation I would encourage them not to get involved in. Um, but in general, like I, I feel it's incredibly inappropriate and, and wrong to like almost, almost be mean and lie about somebody else um, just to get somebody. 
because if that's how they're going to choose to join your team or, or, or sign with you or whatever the situation is, um, like not, not to, you know, I think, Oh God, have I already said this before, but like, then you're not doing it for the right reasons. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the service work we do is going to be kind of maybe muddled by this negative relationship kind of from the start. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, I guess long story short, it's like, I, I try to share as much as I can about my experience, but I also try my best not to be negative or not to just, I don't know, like, you know, almost, almost make it like, like join us because you should be scared <laughs> or, or, or join us because insert sassy thing, right? It's like, no, you, you should come here if this is something you really believe in and something you want to be a part of. And and if something else is a better fit, I'm super excited for you. That's a beautiful thing to find something that you're excited about and you're passionate about. And, and having options is a great thing. And, you know, we're going to be cheering you on throughout your journey. Yeah, it's it's crazy listening to other people's sort of experiences. I guess they're, it shows more about them, really. I guess they've there's some sort of fear from their side that they're trying to tear down what they think should be you know the status quo and it sort of goes to show that you are doing the right thing no and thank you for saying that and I think what you just said is something that's true like almost throughout life like that's true with everything that's the reason there's racism that's the reason there's sexism that's the reason there's you know homophobia and it's at the end of the day like hatred and negativity and this kind of creation of like it's you against me is always an opportunity for control and often control comes from a place of fear right it's a place of if i'm not in control of it then somebody's going to take it from me um and and that's why people fear change that's why you know if something is bad but it's been normalized and somebody comes around and says hey maybe we should unnormalize this um, rather than say like, yep, looking at this list, it actually shows this is highly negative. Let's get rid of it. Um, you know, change is met with fear and therefore it's, it's met with often negativity. Um, and so I think the more we're able to recognize that and then in our own moments, like of, of like kind of instinctual reaction of like almost trying to protect ourselves, kind of wonder okay where is this coming from is this coming from a place of i just want control and i'm scared somebody's going to take it from me um or is this coming from a place of like you know like genuine like i'm trying to do the right thing and i'm you know like genuinely concerned about something um and so again i'm not trying to get people to like question why they chose the banana smoothie versus the strawberry smoothie on their day to day. But I think the more you're just in general, like questioning, like your own implicit bias and your own like initial reactions to things um, and are just curious and are open to sometimes having to reframe them and realize, Oh, that, that initial response isn't actually what I want to have and doesn't actually make sense. And that's okay. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to learn. Um, I think the world would be a much brighter place. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And I think, yeah, 
it kind of touches back on what we spoke about earlier in the conversation. And last thing I want to speak about with Atalanta is it's a twofold question, really. How can the listeners support you? And secondly, whilst it is focused on developing female running and the female sport, how can men be better allies and better support you? Really appreciate you asking that. And so from our team's perspective, like we have an Instagram, a Twitter, we're on LinkedIn. Um, our handles are at Atalanta NY. So you can definitely follow on our website, atalantanyc.org. You can sign up for our newsletters. Um, and we also have like monetary ways people can get involved and support through donations on our site or we'll be launching pretty soon our um, training plans so people can actually join the team and be coached by our coach John Green um, and really kind of join our our group if you will and it's going to be an exciting next step um, and so those are a few ways that people can support um, but you know just following along like I love getting people's messages and being able to connect with people and um, it can be a really positive reminder that, you know, like, even though change can be scary, if, you know, I kind of hear from people that we're going in the right direction, that definitely does make my day. Um, and then for the second half of your question, I love when people ask me that. Um, because I think, you know, one thing I've noticed, I think, over over the last few years is that, again, people might take my message of being very, like, this is a um like woman's issue and the truth is the reason we kind of face these adversities as a gender is not exclusively because what men do right it's more how our culture has constructed itself right so those are two separate things there are incredible allies out there. There are people who are really doing great work. Um, but what we're trying to do to change sport is dismantle a toxic and, and negative culture, not take away like all the great men who are doing great things. Um, and so that's why for me, so much of it is you know, how I have kind of described it to people is I don't want the organizations that already exist, that are already, you know, treating people poorly to just hire a bunch of women because then it'll be better, right? That's, that's not how you create change. That's not how positivity is going to really kind of like be created in these industries. What has to happen is the culture has to be dismantled, the culture has to change, and what then has to happen is one in which differences are celebrated, where diversity is valued, where different backgrounds and different opinions are what are seen as what makes an organization great become the cornerstones and the ethos of that culture. That is when we're going to be really in a place where things are going to change and things are going to be much more positive as a sport, but then also just as a world. And so what I always challenge people to do is take a look at where they are in their life, where they are in their fields. And this is for 
both men and women and it's to ask themselves how can i as an individual make a difference and as we've said throughout this podcast there's two things there's talking the talk and there's walking the walk right and so if you realize for example that you're somebody who's in finance you're completely outside of sport but you're a fan of sport and you're like hey how can i make a difference in my life well what you can do is take a look even within your own company and ask yourself okay um what's what's the demographic big breakdown of the people who i'm working with and then start to question okay am i in a position where i maybe am making hiring decisions or I maybe can create this conversation internally of how do we change to be a more inclusive organization. Um, And if you realize that, yeah, there's really progress you need to make, then again, it's okay to lean on others. It's okay to kind of join and learn organizations that are maybe already kind of trying to teach people how to become a more inclusive place. It's, really great and something I encourage people to also do is take a look at your alma mater. Is there organizations that you can get involved in that are maybe encouraging women or, you know, black business students to go into finance or whatever, whatever you think you can almost make a difference in within the culture of your institution, I think can be a really positive way to feel like you're making a difference whether it's in sport or not, to change the culture. Um, And if you do have a more, like, I guess, place to make change internally within sports organizations, I think the same work has to be done. Um, And also, I want to actually backtrack and say one thing. I said alma mater because I'm, you know, thinking in terms of, like, colleges and opportunities to give back in that way. But I think... I have to check my privilege and I also have to check my internal bias to immediately go in that direction of a way that you can give back when the truth is you should start even earlier. You should be looking, you know, at organizations that are working with high schoolers that maybe right now don't think they have an opportunity to go to a university setting. Maybe it's looking at people, um, who haven't gone the collegiate route and wonder how can I pull them into this? How can I make them feel valued and supported? Um, And so I think in so many ways for me, it's doesn't have to just be about sports because the culture that has created negativity in sports exists elsewhere. And if you're somebody who feels, okay, I'm, I'm not the coach of a team. I'm, I, you know, don't have a child who's in sport. And, and this is really just something I do because I love it. That doesn't mean you can't still make a difference in your own life and in the lives of other people. It's really cool listening to that because you kind of really explained it and then kind of shared it on the global level and then broke it down into the local level. And there's so many parallels between other kind of ways that we kind of need to change things within society and listening to what you said is like i feel like i've said what you've said talking about black lives matter movement mm-hmm. it's just it's crazy i'm like it's the same thing almost um it's crazy like but the thing i loved as well you talked about not just being within just what you're doing but just actually 
branching out and something I speak about as well. Just you can't just be in your own group where like this is our problem and this is where you're gonna solve it. Actually spread out and work with your community and look at other things and see how you can partner with other people. And I think that's how change that you may not see happens as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of it too is because, you know, sometimes I'll have people reach out to me who, you know, maybe have a daughter in running, right? Or a daughter in sports. And um, they do kind of ask, they're like, you know, I'm not the coach of a team, but like how, what can I do to make a difference? And the truth is, if you have a child at home and they, you know, maybe even see what you do on the day to day, and maybe they look at the organization you work for and they say like, wow, okay, you know, my, my dad's industry is one in which doesn't seem like there's a lot of women or doesn't seem like there's a lot of opportunity for people who look different or who speak different or for come from different backgrounds. Um, and I think that in so many ways can really affect what young girls and, and young people in general look at as their opportunities um, and, and, and pathways. Like I look at my own upbringing and I was one of four girls um, and my dad um, is an anesthesiologist in New York City. And in his department, it was like 50-50 men and women. And so growing up, I, I always felt that I could dream of becoming a doctor. Like I always felt like, of course, that's an opportunity that I can have. But I sometimes wonder, okay, had he been in a different specialty? Like had he been an orthopedist, which is I think like a staggering percentage dominated by men, would I have had that same dream? Would I have had that same aspiration at a very young age? And the thing is, I don't know, but I kind of think I wouldn't have. And and that's that's kind of sad to me. Yeah, it, it's amazing that you asked and answer that question because I was actually thinking about that because I've got a daughter myself I was like you must be in my mind to ask that question <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate yeah you probably get that asked out a lot and probably people dm you and you're like okay it's not a free consultation but I'll give you an answer <laughs> <laughs> no I'm, I'm seriously I'm seriously always happy to, like I don't want anybody to ever think like oh she doesn't want to answer um because I think you know I think these are great questions and they're things that you know, out of something that was really a tough experience that I had to go through as an individual, um, you know, I, I always try to find the silver linings and things. And I think one of them is now if I can help push people to to think a little differently and and to also want others to think differently than how they do and and be okay with the idea that sometimes they're going to be wrong and, and sometimes they're going to make mistakes and sometimes they're going to have to learn. Um, I think that's great because heck, I, I make mistakes all the time. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's at least one recruit who's listening to this being like, Mary did say this one sassy thing, you know, about the time her shoe fell off and somebody stepped on, like, I know I'm just making something up, <laughs> but that's okay. like, that's, you know, that's something that, I, I want that feedback myself of what can I do to make things better for other people. Yeah, I just don't trust people who are like, 
I, I'm perfect and I've lived this perfect life. I'm like, no, there's something that must have happened today <laughs> <laughs> that you messed up. Like, we've all screwed up. We've all screwed stuff up. Like, I was thinking, like, the other day, like, I was using, like, a water filter. So I was pouring water from the tap, the faucet, into it. And I was just too impatient to let it filter through. So I thought, I won't hold the top. In my head, I'm thinking you should hold the top. And literally, as I pulled it, the whole thing just, like, cascaded out. And you're like, damn. <laughs> oh, my God, of course. Like, I, 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 I don't think I have ever done an interview where I don't stop at some point and say, oh, by the way, guys, like, I do not always do this. I yeah. totally have trouble sometimes staying in this mindset because it's hard because if things were easy life wouldn't be what life is like we're not we don't like nobody has it perfect and nobody is just kind of walking around you know on a golden carpet just having having it easy all the time um and for those that do come from a more privileged background and for those that do have opportunities to use their voice in a way that others should also be granted I think then it's important for them to honestly do more work to say hi I'm here I want to help you and I want to change this system because this shouldn't just be me who gets to do this this should be so many other people and it's just because of the way that our society has constructed ourselves that unfortunately a white blonde girl who shared her story had 15 million people view it and i don't know had i been somebody else would that have been the case and i like to hope that it would have been but i acknowledge that i am who i am i mentioned earlier i grew up with a dad who was a doctor and you know, I've had the opportunity to have people want to listen to me and to share my story. And as a result, I feel it's, you know, something that isn't like a responsibility in a negative way, but it's a responsibility in a powerful way to use that platform and to say, I don't want to change it just for the people who look like me, but I want to change it for everybody. Um, and for that matter, that includes that includes the guys because a lot of the stuff that I talk about is is not just women's issues um it's it's stuff that affects them as well yeah and like listening to like what you just said there I always feel like sometimes you people in your positions always feel like they have to I explain but like yeah I know I had this but it doesn't mean that I don't and it's like okay because it makes me think of a question that I asked Chris Mosier on a podcast like how did you how did people perceive you from being white female to mm. white male and the question he gave was, the answer he gave was amazing. And it's just like, there's always like that sidestep, isn't it? Like, we were always kind of looking to the right and or whatever, the left and comparing. It goes to show like how those biases and how we have viewed just goes forward. And we just there's not a lot that we can do about that. I feel like I'm preaching. I don't need to preach to you because you know this already. But I think what you're doing is amazing. So I'm just going to kind of stop <laughs> preaching at you. No, I, 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 I appreciate that. Because I think sometimes, um, you know, it, it's, it's, good to have conversations like this and to be able to kind of talk about it and think about it and again like question why why did an opportunity happen and as I said um in the rich role podcast I, I tend to not take a Calvinistic view to the world in that I don't think things are happening because it was 
deserved you know because of you as an individual i don't think mental health is a personal failing against that individual um i don't think opportunities are always divided because it's the most skilled person in the room um and i think the more we we remember that and we acknowledge it um the better like our lives are going to be because we're automatically going to be reconsidering what we're doing and and ultimately will then get the best people in the room and will make the friendships and the relationships that are powerful and last and it's because we're kind of reminding ourselves what the why is not just like this is what I'm supposed to do yeah so much in that and I feel like I feel I've taken quite a bit of your time in this conversation as well. And I feel like there's so many ways I want to go down to that question, but I kind of want to <laughs> move towards the, the final mile, the final stretch of the, the conversation. I appreciate your time so far. Thank you. What guests would you like to hear on the show? And if you have a name, what would you ask them as a question? Oh, that's awesome. Um, so one of my board members, Mary Wittenberg, has been um, honestly my role model since I was probably 16. And I have just always, like, really been inspired by women who are kind of in decision-making roles within organizations and who I know are actively trying to lift up other women and create opportunities for them as well. And so I know I get to hear from her all the time, and I feel very lucky that She's not only somebody who I'm working with um, to create Atalanta, but also at this point, a friend and mentor to me. And so I think she would be an incredible person because I want others to be able to learn from somebody like her. Um, And so I would definitely say Mary. Um, And then I think the best question to ask her is who's her second favorite Mary, because I think she should put herself first. Um, No, she wanted to be like uh, my mom or like, <laughs> like that's what I would have to do. My mom's also married. <laughs> standards, that's standard, isn't it? But no, seriously, I think Mary is such a, obviously not your mom, but <laughs> I'm sure your mom's amazing, but Mary is amazing as well. I remember years ago, I think she was doing, obviously we all know what, she, what she's done for New York Roadrunners. I remember a couple of years ago, she was doing some stuff with Virgin uh, Race Rents in the UK. And I remember meeting her here and like her passion for the sport was amazing. And just I remember seeing her at the end and just cheering people on and being there, you know, welcoming people in and taking time and celebrating their achievements. And it was just really incredible just to see her, I don't mean making other people's experiences that much better. Yeah. Yeah. And I just feel, you know, there's there's always... um you know, a lot of us are going to have some level of um, imposter syndrome whenever we're trying to do something. And I think athletes in particular, you know, have kind of been taught that that their voice matters when it's for an ad and not when it's, you know, for themselves or for others. And so I think even when I was setting off on this journey to create our team and when I first reached out to her, um, we met up actually in Boston and we just had lunch and what was supposed to probably be like a 45 minute meetup turned into like three and a half hours. And um, I think just having, you know, somebody who you really 
are inspired by and look up to like kind of giving you that time and 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 listening to you and and giving you advice and telling you that um they they believe in what you're doing I think is something that is just really really powerful and I think just the whole idea behind mentorship and and looking towards those who like you want to emulate and you want to learn from um I think is super powerful and that's part of why our organization's kind of service specific work is going to be in mentorship because I think it's really one of the most powerful uh, relationships that a young person can have is is that of a mentor yeah having someone that believes in you when you probably don't see it yourself sharing that wisdom so you kind of don't have to learn the hard way yourself sometimes is yeah uh, so valuable how can people follow your journey online and get in touch and support you yeah so we um like again our organization atalanta and why is our Instagram handle website atalantanyc.org. And then my own social channels are run Mary Kane. So definitely follow all of the above um, because I'm excited to be sharing a lot more of the journey going forward. And it'll be really fun to be sharing it with even more people than I already am. So obviously the, the serious stuff and obviously getting the sweat beads in your eye and, you know, breaking down into tears <laughs> Those ones well. yeah right it's just gonna be pictures of my dog <laughs> awesome mary thank you for being a guest on a runner's life podcast yeah thank you so much for having me marcus and also shout out to marcus for helping us with and by us i mean tracksmith with our 100 days to london newsletter it's been really fun working with you and it's been a pleasure being on your podcast thank you Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode and you want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash a runner's life. If you want to get updates on the podcast or you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at a runner's life underscore podcast and at the marathon markers your time is valuable so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a runner's life podcast <laughs>